I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan. This is our Global Conversations in Plain Sight show, and we are honored today to have Senator Malcolm Roberts from Australia with us. He's one of our favorite people from overseas. And Malcolm, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Christine. It's great to be with you again. See you. Well, it's, it's always good to be with you, Senator. Uh, so I wanted to have you on because I wanted to find out because I know you guys are really taking on your TGA and Pfizer and going deep and possibly, I think you may be ahead of us in the United States in terms of really, you know, putting more pressure on the federal government. Tell us what's going on with the COVID vaccinations right now in Australia and your investigations. Oh, okay, sure. Um, with the COVID vaccination or COVID injections, I don't call them vaccinations, they're not vaccines. So um, what, what's happening there is that the government has just authorized or promoted the fifth, uh, fifth shot, I think, the booster a couple of months ago. Uh, they've moved it on to children, which is crazy, but they did that last year. Uh, they're just doubling down on that. They're ignoring the death statistics. They're ignoring the excess deaths. We've had uh, in the last 12 months, 30,000 plus excess deaths above the normal level of deaths in this country. Are, they, no are, one they, are, they, broken, are they broken down in age groups? That I can't tell you. I, yeah, I think they are. I think they are. But uh, we've had 30,000, more than 30,000 excess deaths. Um, and we attribute them to vaccines because they went up and down with with the vaccines mm -hmm. being introduced and being removed or being reduced in, in um, uptake. Um, and, you know, Christine, that's that's the equivalent of two Boeing 787 Dreamliners crashing a week, every week for a year. And no one's interested. So we've been trying to raise this. And, and the significant thing for me is uh, that when I speak in the Senate now, when Pauline Hanson speaks in the Senate, Alex Antic, Jared Rennick, uh, Ralph Babair, I used to get slammed by the, by the government and by the, by the Greens, jeers and catcalls and labels and names and all the rest of it. Now well, you nothing. were out in front. I mean, you and I met, I mean, goodness, it's about 18 months ago. You and I met very yeah. early on when you guys wanted to bring forth you know, experts from around the world that were looking at this, you know, like doctors and people who yep. are the whistleblowers. 
So, so we, we used to cop a building. Uh, I mean, it didn't bother us because the truth is, is always paramount with us. So we kept going. But now when I get up and speak about these injections or about the deaths or, or, or so on, any other topic to do with COVID, there's silence. The Greens uh, are silent. The, the government is silent. The Liberal National Party, which had been the government during COVID, is now starting to get interested and more of their people are speaking up. So we've had a significant change in the tone of the Senate, if not the actual deeds, because I moved a motion requiring, uh, as a matter of public importance, uh, advocating for a royal commission into the COVID uh, management or the, the COVID response. And, Senator, let, and me not one... let me interrupt you for a second, because I did um, submit my body of work about the Catholic investiga sex scandal investigation to your Royal Commission. Mm -hmm. Explain to our international audience the significance of, a royal, of an Australian Royal Commission, because it really does carry a lot of weight. It, it, well, it does, and it, and it doesn't in a way, Christine. The, a Royal Commission is convened by the Prime Minister of the country, uh, who's the leader of the government, the Westminster system like Britain, so he's the leader of the majority party in, in the uh, House of Representatives. And they, uh, he, he, he appoints the terms of reference, he defines the terms of reference, and he appoints a, a senior judge, a well-respected judge, uh, and sometimes uh, the judge is given the power to appoint other, other uh, legal officers. And they call for witnesses, and they can subpoena witnesses, they can compel witnesses, and they can ask really searching questions. However, the terms of reference and the appointment of the judge are in the Prime Minister's hands. So if they want to have a whitewash, they can. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, we have got to do a bit more than just a Royal Commission. So a Royal Commission is very significant, but it may be biased. But so you, have, you have submitted a bill requesting that now? No, we, we, we raised a matter of public importance and debating, okay. call, calling on a, a Royal Commission. It was just for a debate. And see, the government, which is now the Labor Party, which was in opposition during the COVID response, has said in, in their pre-election promises that they will hold a Royal Commission. Now they're deferring it, deferring it, deferring it. The, the Greens, the Labor Party, the Liberals all supported a call for a Royal Commission when they debated my matter of public importance. The significant thing, though, is that the Greens and the Labor Party said, let's wait until the states have committed their own, uh, completed their own inquiries. So they're just stalling. That's all they're doing. Just pushing so the can down the road. That's right. So what we want to do is also have a Senate inquiry to flush out the, the real material because the Senate, as a Senate inquiry, we can subpoena witnesses as well. So we can compel witnesses. So that's, that's, that's where we're at at the moment. So there's a significant change in the tone of the Senate right now. And people are aware if they're not quite ready to admit what's going on with excess deaths. Uh, and there's also uh, a commitment to a Royal Commission, but it's being kicked down the road at the moment. How is the media responding? Because two and a half years ago, the media was really gripped and just pushing the narrative of the government in Australia at the time. And I've seen some, you know, turning of the tide, but have they really, are they curious and interviewing you guys or is it oh, still? No, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much banned on the media. They won't, they won't come near me. Um, there are significant articles in News Corporation, which is Rupert Murdoch's publications, the Australian mm. uh, newspaper and various um, tabloid newspapers that he has in, in the capital cities. There are significant questions being asked in those papers. They're doing a good job. Adam Crichton, I want to call out as doing a very, mm. very good job. Do you know of Adam? I, I know of him. I don't know him personally. Yeah. He, mm. He's... Uh, 
He's a young economist, and he's been. He, I think he's the American correspondent now for News Corp. I think he's based in mm -hmm. Washington, but mm -hmm. he has been fairly solid in asking questions about the lockdowns, the masks, and a few other things during COVID itself over the last two and a half years. Uh, he's, he's been onto it, but somewhat subdued. But still, he's been he's been doing a good job, um, and he's been raising the injection and the injection injuries at times. The, and now he's right into it, uh, and and he's going he's going very well on that. They've also had two other journalists who've been talking about the COVID injections, the COVID injuries, the deaths from the COVID injections. And they've also had, of course, Sherry Markson, who wrote that book, uh, "What Really Happened in Wuhan," or whatever the title was. Fabulous. She's book. done a fabulous job. Fabulous book. Fabulous. So we book. have got some some interest in the media, but the 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 government. Um, media, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, no interest whatsoever. Uh, the the uh, commercial TV stations, no interest whatsoever. Um, so it's just the just really news corporation that's been that's been running it. So so when you take a look at the landscape, Senator, in Australia, from the media point of view, <clears throat> do you have Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide? I mean, where where is the media really paying attention in those five major cities? Canberra, uh, Melbourne, and Sydney, and to a slight extent Brisbane, but it's 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 really the big three. Uh, Canberra is because it's a political capital, if not the it hasn't got many people, only four hundred thousand people. But uh, Sydney and Melbourne have about five million each, and that's where the big market is, and that's where the seats of power have usually been. Most of the prime ministers have come from those two cities, so in the past. So, are you talking in Australia like they are now talking just in the past five or six days about the you know possibility in the United States of having you know the lockdowns, the masks back on by mid-September? I mean, they're actually talking about this, and you know, <clears throat> we're, we're, this is not about monkeypox. This is about you know another COVID virus that may be out there. Are they talking about you know redoing this again in Australia? Not yet. But they they are they are talking every now and then about uh, the a future pandemic as they call it. COVID wasn't a pandemic. It doesn't meet the criteria for a pandemic. It doesn't right. have a pandemic of deaths. But um, so on social media or anti-social media as I call it, uh, we've had lots of people making comments about what's happening in Florida and and also potentially Europe. But it's mainly the United States where we hear talk about it being reimposed. But nothing here really. Well, it's, you know, I take a look at this as an American journalist, and even though I've traveled overseas, I'm here, I'm stationed here in America right now, and I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if they, if, if they, if the, the, if these people, the cabal, the global cabal, can get America to do this a second time, you know, then they may think that they can have a trajectory overseas, and that may be why that they're putting so much pressure because that, you know, it used to be that the FDA here in the United States was the gold standard. Now we know it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a coal standard. It doesn't stand for anything now because they've lied so many times. Do you, do you find that there are more people putting pressure on those representatives in Australia that are connected to Gavi and CEPI, which are the two organizations for the distribution of vaccinations that Gates, Bill Gates is connected to financially? No, G Gates is, um, because he was in, he was in Australia about was it three or four months ago making the rounds. Correct, and and he visited the prime minister uh, at the prime minister's residence, and they they said they both issued statements later, 
And Gates said that they discussed climate change, um, the environment, health, food, and agriculture. Gates has got no qualifications in any of those. He's right. got no experience in any of those, but he's got lots of investments in each of those. So it's clear conflict of interest from, the, from, from Gates. And I don't know what the hell the Prime Minister is doing listening to Bill Gates. Bill Gates has got no qualifications or experience in any of those areas. Well, it, it, it goes, that's a perfect segue into another part I wanted to uh, cover with you. The World Health Organization, the international um, amendments to the 2000, I think it's the 2005, 2015, 2005. So these are the amendments that the U.S. put up. Yeah, Australia's part of the package. Yeah. 2005. All right. So these are the amendments that the Biden administration concocted in agreement with about 46 other countries. And I think we found out about it. And it started immediately when he went in, came into office in 2021. We found out about it publicly in the press in April of 2022. And there's a movement now to push those forward, which is under the umbrella of the One Health model, which, it, which binds animals, plants, humans, WHO, Geneva, Tedros, who's a uh, secretary general of the WHO, director, secretary director, I guess, of the WHO would be making the decisions of what happens in, you know, Brisbane, uh, <laughs> regardless of what your prime minister would want to have decided down there, like it would be in the United States if something broke out in Nebraska all of a sudden Tedros and six other regional directors would decide how the U.S. should respond to that. Is there any conversation publicly down there in Australia? Oh, yes. What you guys yes. doing in Canberra to, to counter what the WHO and the cabal wants to do? Yes, we've, we've been onto it uh, since April of last year. I put out a video on this. I think it went overseas, actually, but it certainly mm -hmm. did the rounds in Australia. Uh, condemning the, the world any any government in Australia signing up for the World Health Organization's new international health regulations and the pandemic treaty, which is now called a pandemic accord. Right, um, and they want to keep it as an accord because if it's called a treaty in the United States, it has to be passed by the Senate. What are the rules of the game when it's called an accord down in Australia? I, I don't know uh, whether it means anything between treaty and accord. I don't know that the answer to that question, Christine, but I do know that we found out just recently that on some some occasions um, mm -hmm. there's a there's a standing committee uh, joint select joint select committee between senators and mem members of the House of Representatives that meets to discuss updates in regulations or or, or uh, treaties uh, from the United Nations and sometimes it notes them and that's all that's required to adopt them. So what we've been doing is encouraging the public to put a lot of pressure on members of parliament to say, no, you will pass legislation about any of this first. So and we're making it very, very clear. We're not happy at all about that. But we, we've, been, we've had two staff in our office who've been very, very effective on this particular topic. They understand how the World Health Organization operates, the, the uh, World Health Assembly and the World Health, Health Councils. And we were very happy to learn that the African nations said, no, we don't trust you anymore, uh, with good reason, because they've murdered thousands of, of uh, Africans uh, in so-called tests for drugs in the past, big pharma. And so the mm -hmm. Africans are not happy at all. 
then then they sweetened the pot. The World Health Organization, as I understand it, sweetened the pot with billions of dollars worth of promised aid and drugs. Why would you want more of their damn drugs? But anyway, the Africans still aren't buying it, so they've they've watered it down. Uh, and the international health regulations are getting closer to what they were in 2005, uh, returning back to that, and the um, and less onerous in terms of control when it comes to the pandemic accord. People clearly around the world are very concerned about the World Health Organization. And we know that the World Health Organization commissioned an internal report, an internal report, into the level of, um, I think there were 83 claims of... Um, sexual abuse and rape within the World Health Organization in one of the African countries, uh, and they were confirmed. And right. the, the person internally who did the report said, if you don't do anything about this, then you're condoning a rape culture in this World Health Organization. They haven't done anything about it. They're not going to do anything about it. And this is what you get when you get a terrorist, a former terrorist, in charge of the World Health Organization. So there's a lot of concern now in this country at the, at the, at the, um, amongst voters for uh, opposing the World Health Organization's pandemic accord and international health regulations revisions. So they're being watered down considerably, but we don't want anything to do with it. You know, what's interesting to me, and, and it's, I, I think it just goes in flows of history and errors of history. Over 20 years ago, I investigated the UN peacekeeping forces in the Balkans. Uh, and there were two whistleblowers. They happened to be Americans. One was a female law enforcement official. One, one was a, a younger man who worked for DynCorp at the time. And they came forward about the UN troops who were international buying and selling kids uh, for sex in the Balkans. And at that point in time, the UN, under which the WHO sits, you know, came out with higher guys at the UN basically going after the whistleblowers. So, I mean, there's a, there's a yeah. larger question philosophically that people need to ask. Do you really want to put the hands of children's safety medically in the hands of a, um, an organization like the UN and the WHO if they don't control their own? And well, hold them you're aware of the movie Sounds of Freedom? Oh, yes, yes. I, yeah, I, 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 so. As a matter of fact, I, I, I watched it and I... I didn't endorse Tim or Jim, uh, Tim Ballard or Jim, the actor who played him in the movie, but I thought it was a very good movie because they elevated the, the character who played the, the, the female pimp. I thought that was, that was progress so people understand that women, in fact, are rapists, traffickers, et cetera. And also they had a scene in the film where they, the pedophiles were watching the children in the playground. That's very real from my body of work covering human trafficking for 23 years. And they brought in the internet. So I thought that that was, that was progress to let people know how it works um, because well, it can happen. Our, our, our party has hired a theater. It's only just being, being released in this country. Our party has hired a theater. My wife and I will be joining 300 other people in the theater tonight to watch the uh, Sounds of Freedom. And, and we initially were sold out with our first theater. We had to go and get a bigger theater. We were sold out, sold out within hours, you know. Um, and then we were sold out again within hours when we got the bigger theater. And now we're on, a, on our next larger size theater. So that'll be on tonight. And then tomorrow in the morning, I'll be addressing the Children's Health Defense um, in Australia at the Gold Coast. Uh, and then we'll be, then, then my wife and I will be get, attending our parties conference on freedom of speech because we've got a bill being introduced by the Labor Party government. Uh, it's called the Misinformation and Disinformation Bill. Uh, 
and uh, that is really a censorship bill. They want tell to put us, the pressure tell, on. Tell, tell our audience about that, Senator. Sure. Um, they've defined misinformation and disinformation, misinformation as, as causing harm and disinformation as causing harm with deliberate intent. Uh, they've defined harm in various ways, but it's just purely a censorship bill. What, what the, and and they're, they're muddying the waters, Christine, because the government is saying we want to get access. We want to make sure that you have to the social media platforms. We want to make sure, and it's not just social media platforms. It's Google um, search, search engines uh, and various other forms of communication on the internet. That's basically it, except for private messages. But basically well, there's, the there's also the terminology, and Bobby Kennedy talked about this when he testified before Congress on the weaponization of uh, the internet to the government. You know, there's malinformation, meaning that you may be telling the truth, but it goes against the government narrative, which is what I found in Australia among many of the press friends that I have in Australia. They were telling me we can't even tell the truth because it's against the government narrative. That's correct. That's one of the significant things you just you've just raised it. There's no definition as to what is the truth or mm -hmm. who decides what is truth. So we we know that our Department of Home Affairs, which is like your uh, Homeland Security, I think, mm -hmm. um, is charged with security during the COVID mismanagement and deceit. The Home, Department of Home Affairs was passing notes from the um, Department of Health to the uh, Facebook and, and other platforms to take down posts because they they basically said, does this comply with your with your uh, standards. So what the government is doing now is it's saying, first of all, we want access to your social media platform data. Uh, and then secondly, they said, we want you to come up with codes of practice so that you will, you will root out misinformation and disinformation. And then thirdly, if you don't develop adequate codes of practice, we will enforce, we will impose and enforce standards and rules for misinformation, disinformation. But nowhere have they defined who, who determines the truth. And so really, this is just a continuation of what happened informally with censorship of, um, of, of uh, senators, m members of parliament and the public uh, on social media. Craig Kelly, uh, who was very strongly in favor of ivermectin and very strong supporter, as was I, he mm -hmm. was banned. He was actually taken down and banned. And we've what been, are the, we've been what are the repercussions now going into, so I, I want to call it phase two. I mean, I, I think that number may be too low. This may be phase five, but let's just start with COVID <laughs> in 2020, all right? So if we move back into this space with these new laws, what are the ramifications for somebody who disagrees? I mean, why can't we challenge the narrative of anybody on earth? Well, the best protection... If, if you are a company and you want to make money, the best protection for your money making is to uh, is to open up the market and have a good rigorous debate. So this is clearly not about making money that way in an honest market. It's clearly about control and then making money in a dishonest market by suppressing people who challenge your product. We know that the whole of COVID, uh, the, sorry, the whole of COVID response was a, was a, was based on deceit and driven by deceit, and it was aimed at two things control and money wealth transfer that's all it was control and wealth transfer and now it's about avoiding accountability so that that's it'll be the same again but the people this time we, we've had stickers here uh and memes saying never again never again people are fired up 
well, let's let's wait and see because in in the first batch of COVID, the last three years, people didn't stand up. Oh well, some of us did, but I mean, the people as a whole didn't stand up they because it was very well. It was very well done. But but Christine, I think we have to be mindful of the fact that the way it was done. I made a list of about thirty things that were happened for the first time in our country's history. That was significant. And any one of those, if they'd happened in isolation and left it, let it be, people would have been up and very strongly opposing it. But what happened was they were belted suddenly by the first one. And then while they were picking themselves up and dusting themselves down, they were belted by the second one. So they had no time to process any of these these heinous acts. And so they got belted, 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 belted. And in the end, they just got so dizzy, they didn't know which way was up. And so we now have seen that and we'll be ready for them this time. So I think we'll have more members of parliament standing up, I hope. We've seen more members of parliament getting interested uh, and, and being awake, especially in the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party opposed my motion when it was in government uh, 18 months ago for, um, for release of the Pfizer contracts. The Liberal Party, um, one of the Liberal Party senators moved a motion to, to under the new government, um, the Labor Party government, Wanting, exp- wanting the release of the Pfizer contract. And the old Liberal Party that formed the old government was in support of releasing the contract. So things are changing, uh, but we've still got a long way to go. You know, the, what is, uh, the, Senator, what is, what is the stated reason? I mean, I know what the reason is. Nobody wants to release the Pfizer contracts, you know, in any of these countries officially with everybody's signature on it. We, now, you and I both have talked about this privately. We've all been able to get a hold of some templates of, of uh, contracts and in some smaller countries, copies of the contract. But what is the stated reason at this point in the game, this far down the journey, that we all know that Pfizer wanted to keep everything suppressed? What is the justification for keeping it uh, not, re- not, not allowing it to be made public? Commercial incompetence. That, that's their stated reason. Um, but, you know, what's confidential now two years later? Well, they said, you know, in, in other countries, I know that when they, they had the lawsuit that was filed in Uruguay, the judge said, okay, I want to see this contract in 48 hours. And in March, everybody's lawyers from the, from the president's office down to Pfizer, down to the, the man who filed the lawsuit. And they said, you know, this is a, this is a confidential agreement. And then, you know, they took it up on appeal. But we know what their, their promises were there. We know in Israel, Pfizer promised to put up some manufacturing plants. We know in Rwanda, they did the same thing. Moderna had some type of contract with somebody in your in your country to put in, I think it's two. Two, yeah. Two, I think Melbourne one in, and Brisbane. Melbourne and Brisbane, yeah. And so here's what I want to know. Can't. Can you in Australia subpoena the people who signed those contracts? If they don't no, want to release it, can you sub- can you subpoena those people in, in the Senate? Um, we we um, got into the Senate, as you know. I sent you that that email with the inquiry uh, that was into the um, the two bills that are before the Senate for mm-hmm. opposing or or banning the discrimination based upon vaccine status. Okay, right. those, and we, we, we compelled Pfizer to send two executives and they were hopeless. I don't know if you've watched the video or the, the tra- or read the I didn't watch it all the way through, but I did watch it. So tell, tell the audience about it because it is pretty fascinating. I mean, they made fools of themselves. They're, exactly. And, and the first senator who asked questions, Senator Canavan, 
um, at the end of his five, and we only had five minutes each. And at the end of the five minutes, I, I was next to him was uh, Pauline Hanson and then me. Okay, um, and and Senator Canavan said under his breath, "That was just terrible." And I said, "No, that was fabulous because they exposed that they are hiding something very, very severely. They did not answer the questions, Christine. Uh, mm -hmm. Matt was." talking to them about repeatedly saying, do you stand by Albert Baller's uh, uh, statements that, that it's effective and safe? And they didn't answer the question. They just went off on, on some, uh, some stupid answer. And he asked them again and again and again, and they never answered the questions. So I think it was a huge black eye for Pfizer because they're not willing to even say, stand up and support their own injections in a Senate inquiry. Um, and then, then I extracted from them the fact that they have brought out their own injections for their for their Pfizer employees in this country rather than use the ones that they provided to the government. You know that that's stunning, um, and and they just would not. And I accuse them of um, uh, using logical fallacies rather than answering questions. And if you notice, Christine, I don't know how 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 much you you watched them, but Pfizer would always talk. When we asked them questions about their role, they would defer to the experts, the TGA, the FDA. The TGA followed the FDA, who followed Pfizer. I mean, the whole thing is a, is a pack of cards, a house of cards, rather. And, it, it, um, it's a house of horror. Yes. It is. It's a house of horror. And, and people have to understand, the FDA has been held as a pinnacle of acceptance of the gold standards. So a lot of these foreign governments... Uh, that have their agencies equivalent to the FDA said, well, we just took direction from FDA. Well, if FDA in the United States is captured by the pharma industry, nobody should be following FDA because everybody's making yeah. royalties off of all of those trials, off of those acceptances for a long period of time. Yep, but, the, but they kept avoiding answers. They would answer with logical fallacies or they would answer by saying, the authorities, the experts all around the world have endorsed this. No, they haven't. They've endorsed each other and they have all come out of Pfizer's uh, initial reports on its own trials. They have basically adopted Pfizer and Pfizer is now saying, well, the experts adopted it. It must be good. You know, this is complete rubbish. So what's, what do you see, let's say, six months down the road? Okay, we've got the WHO. I think one of the deadlines is November of this year. But what do you see? When do you guys go back in this session? Are you in session now? No, we're, we're in. Um, we had a session two weeks ago. We had two mm -hmm. weeks. Two weeks ago, at the end of next week, we'll be starting a next the next session. The week after next will be the next session for two weeks. So how are you going to roll this out? I mean, which I don't want to ask you a battle plan to give the other side any you know edge up. But I'm, I'm, is there a battle plan that that you guys are going to roll out and take this on very strongly and and, and try to make a break through the wall here? Well, what we're doing is we're just punching at any crack in the wall we can find. And we're making cracks in the wall. We just keep punching on that. And bit by bit, it, it's, it's coming open. The cracks are getting wider. We don't really have a plan that, other than just a goal that says we want justice. We mm -hmm. want to see people go to jail and we want to see the truth out. And we want to see this prevented from ever happening again. That's basically our goal. And we're doing whatever we can. Uh, there's a, Senator Babette introduced a bill uh, saying that basically outlawing any, any future um, indemnity for, for drug manufacturers. Uh, and, and so we're pushing that. We'll use that inquiry 
to get witnesses on a variety of topics because that that bill has been con- consigned to an inquiry and it's such a broad broad bill that it's an opportunity to, to, to discuss uh, the, the the imposition of um, imp- uh, what indemnities is such a broad issue that it covers everything so we want to get as many witnesses as we can into that so that'll that'll be the next step but we will continue putting pressure on them in the house of in in the house of the chamber and also in um, in in the uh, in Senate inquiries and into Senate estimates procedures are you let's talk about uh, airlines in uh, Australia what what's happening with the pilots the, the flight crews the ground crews how many how many because they were forced to get these shots. I mean, how are they doing health-wise? Is there is there a groundswell about your skies are not safe? There's not a groundswell that the skies are not safe, but there is concern at the at the huge number of turnarounds of aircraft or cancelled flights, um, delayed flights, because we know from pilots who are who are not not been injected and who have had to leave the comp- leave their airline employment. They're talking to their mates in the airline who's still in the airlines, and that, that a lot of this uh, disruption of schedules is due to pilots being sick. Two reasons: one is the injections, of course, we know that. But the second one is people just don't give a damn, and that's a dangerous thing to have amongst pilots. They're no longer committed. Of course, they will not kill people. That's that's for sure. Pilots are, you know, like most people, very caring, but they just don't give a damn, and that that that. That means that there'll be inadvertent errors made because people are not up to the standards they used to be. Qantas had an, an unparalleled standard in the world, and it was looked upon as the safest airline in the world. It's plummeting. It's been destroyed at the same time, not only by the uh, the injection mandates, but also because, in the view of many people in this country, Alan Joyce, who was uh, an Irishman brought into the country to head up uh, head up Qantas, has done what many people consider to be uh, destroy the airline. He wants to make look good. So what he's done is, is made short-term decisions to try and look good profit-wise short-term, but sacrifice the future of the, the airline. So th- that's that's a big concern to people in this country, and people in this country are waking up to what um, people are alleging he's doing. What do you think, Senator, that it's going to take at this point in time in Australia for people to wake up and say, instead of saying, you know, never again, but demanding from people in positions of power to, to be transparent and to take the hit and to basically fight like hell so this never happens again in Australia. Well, I think what it'll do, what what's really required is for the people en masse to wake up. People are waking up. Many people now say that they know of someone who's been vaccine injured or even killed by the by the injections. So that that's uh, encouraging news if you know what I mean. It's, it's uh, devastating that it's happened, but at least people are waking up. So there is there are people inquisitive, but they're not at the point where they're, they're thumping the table and saying, damn it, tell me what's going on. Um, and they're somewhat tired of the COVID debate, mm-hmm. but they're, they're, still, they're still interested in the deaths. Um, <clears throat> and, and also members of parliament are waking up to the, to the, to the deaths now. So I think what it'll take is more stories about the deaths, more numbers about the deaths, and exposing how the government has been covering up the deaths. The Australian Bureau of Statistics is not not comparing apples with apples. It's comparing apples with oranges to, to decrease the level of deaths. But you, you'll see that 
we've got how many how many senators and and members of your house in in America in Congress um, are taking the line? You've got Rand Paul. You've got uh, Rand Paul. I mean, we, have, we have several senators, you know, who are Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson. He was doing it. He's been. He was out in front. Rand, Rand Paul focused on Fauci uh, and Collins and and, uh, and gain a function where. Uh, Senator Johnson was focusing on giving a voice for the vaccinated and also for the doctors that were speaking out, that were getting hammered by the medical boards. And I mean, in Australia, how the doctors who were speaking out, how are they doing with their medical board licenses? Uh, they're still getting belted, but what we've seen is the formation of the Australian Medical Professional Society, and that's really taking the fight up. Um, Tell us about that, because that's, we don't have that in the United States. We, we don't we have, have I mean, We have the American Pediatric Association, which is the pediatric doctors. We have the surgeons. All of those people were basically paid off. It's like the unions for the, for the yep. pilots association. They didn't really support their pilots as much as they possibly could. And neither did these trade associations, because the Pharmaceutical Manufacturing and Research Association, which is the largest, most powerful, and monetarily, financially sound trade association in Washington, D.C., is now seeped into the state legislatures. And they're, they're, they're giving out money like ATM machines to all the politicians. Yeah, and, and- in this country, it's a, it's a rat's nest of uh, vested interests. We've got big pharma who control the guilds, who control the government uh, with big donations, and we've got uh, the guilds controlling the doctors. We've also got uh, a very clever ruse, uh, which we didn't wake up to until just before the COVID came into this country, uh, and that is that this, the federal government, under our constitution, the states have responsibility for health. The federal mm-hmm. government cannot interfere. So what's happened is the states, this was clearly orchestrated back in about 2008, the states have passed a legislation for having an Australian health practitioners regulatory um, agency or authority, sorry, and they're responsible for the doctor's registrations in each state. But they formed a national body. So, so in, this, in this country we have state law and we have federal law. Right. But now we've got what's called national law, it's bogus, but basically the states pass ident- almost identical legislation. So we've got one same, similar legislation across the whole state, across the whole country. So- uh, Are doctors that, that losing up- their licenses if, if they go yes. for, if they write out the medical exemptions? Yep, they, they can lose their license for that. There've been lots of threats. So the doctors were suppressed, but I was invited to a meeting of doctors in Brisbane about 18 months ago. And it's at a certain point in the in the, the evening, you could just feel it around the room. Doctors went, oh, hell, we've lost our profession. Mm-hmm. And so that's how AMPS was formed, Australian Medical Professional Society. So we had the guilds, doctors' guilds. Uh, we had the doctors' colleges. We had the uh, big pharma. We had the APRA, the, Australia, uh, the registered doctors. And then now, and we had the Australian Medical Association, which was in bed with all of those people. So it was a very convoluted, intertwined rat's nest. You couldn't really hold anyone accountable. And ARPA has been threatening doctors, bullying doctors, but denying they're doing it. We know they are doing it. We've got we've got copies of letters. I mean, that's how brazenness it became. But now, now AMSA started as a voice for doctors and nurses and medical professionals, and they're starting to get some some pretty good support behind them and they're starting to ask questions and they're doing some bloody good work. Are they filing lawsuits? Yes, they are. Yeah. But we're not as litigious as the, as the United States by a long, long way. 
What, okay, well, I, I don't think anybody in the world is, uh, quite frankly. And we, we, we sue if you know somebody calls you a jerk at a cocktail party. But what about the prosecutors? Where are the prosecutors in, the, uh, in Australia on this topic? Because I keep on saying to people, and I've spoken to a number of AGs now who are interested in taking this on in the United States, but where are the prosecutors in Australia? Because to me, there's enough information out there it would just take a creative prosecutor to put together a team and to file some of these cases and go after them. Because I, I, I certainly believe that some people should be not only held accountable, but they need to spend some time in jail. They need to be criminally oh, prosecuted. Yes. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. They've done inhuman crimes. Um, a barrister, I have a barrister in my office. A barrister is a solicitor that can go to the go to the uh appear in court um and he has he told me right from the start he's very practical very sensible very experienced and he said right from the start people are approaching this the wrong way they're, they're suing over principle they should be suing over costs and damage mm -hmm. uh and and we're starting to see a very good lawsuit run by melissa mccann who's a doctor full credit to her she was injecting people in in central queensland on the coast uh central queensland a rural area semi-rural area small regional towns maybe seventy thousand people and and she suddenly noticed a huge increase in adverse events and so she stopped injecting people and mm -hmm. and to her credit she then started gathering information and she's got a case in uh in the courts now looking for compensation for for people who've been injured so we're, so she's actually chasing cost recovery, cost. Um, but but here's here's the kicker: if we don't know what the Pfizer contract or Moderna contract is with the government of Australia, we don't know if they demanded, as we are told that they did in several countries, having you know no having immunity for liability. So the question is, who's going to pay for this at the end of the day? I mean, what's the what is the model that the uh, Australian government is using for compensation for injury? The government government will have to pay compensation because the government is the one that indemnified the states for injecting the, the uh, injections into people. And we understand that Pfizer has an indemnity clause in it. So the government mm -hmm. will pay. I mean, the people will pay. We paid Pfizer for the damn, con uh, damn uh, killer shots, and now we'll be paying the people who died and the people who were injured. So... We, it's crazy. Also it's crazy. We're, 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 people are paying for something the government officials approve that is causing harm to other people. Yes, that's right. And and we've got so many things here going on in this country. So many people working on a volunteer basis, opposing things like the climate fraud, opposing things like the destruction of our energy system. There's so many people around the country who are working voluntarily on opposing government initiatives, and that they're, they're paying taxes to fund the government fighting them. That's what's going mm -hmm. on in this country. And it's the same in America, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, so, Absolutely. so that the people people are fighting back now. Um, the other, the, there's another case that we've, that people in this country have got up, led by a barrister called Julian Gillespie. And he's going to be at the uh, Children's Health Defense tomorrow. Um, but his case has been, I, I don't know the standing of, standing of that at the moment, but he's he's been, given an order i think it's it, it's he's going to have minimal impact we've got a, a, a doctor standing up in this country william bay who's having some impact and appearing in the courts but he's driving himself he's, he's done a pretty good job so far but it's it's a it's a mixed batch in the courts as i said people tend to sort things out outside of court in this country but um people are trying everything they can 
Well, at least at least the creativity and they're trying it from every which way from Sunday because at one point there will be a break in the dam. I mean, I've said oh, yeah. this very early on, but there's going to be a break in the dam as, as you know, because if people really believe if they don't want this to happen again, they have to stand up. Nobody should be seated on the bench during this. No. I'm yeah. going to have to go pretty soon. All right. Well, Sen Senator, thank you very much. Good luck with your Children's Health Defense um, presentation. And also uh, enjoy the movie Sound of Freedom. I think will. you will. I will. The message, the mess you will, you will, knowing you as I do as a friend, you will appreciate the message. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. And come back anytime and we can update right. you know, our audience. Thank you, okay. Senator. Thanks, Christine. Keep doing what you're doing.